Hello and welcome to Off the Record. We had some technical difficulties last week, but I think I am not going to screw up too much this week. Today is my first day of school, so I'll save the screwing up for that. Wait, wait, wait. It's your last first day of school. It's my last first day of school. Uh, I have an artist management class at 1030 where I assume I am the teacher. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, we'll, you know, we'll see how school goes. Thank you for everyone that's been listening. You can keep up with us at offtherecord.fm. We keep a list of show notes there and uh, post other links. You can review us, ask us questions, anything like that. Uh, to start things off, we have a little bit of follow-up. At the end of last week's episode, we talked about U2 and Apple and how U2, uh, how a U2 album popped up on all of your iPhones or iDevices. And now, Jesse, what do, what do they think that that was? What 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 did they call that? I think you and I were texting, and um, as we were texting, I looked up and I saw on my Twitter that they said that what they did by putting their album on your uh, iPhone or your device is really punk rock. So I thought about long and hard, and we went over in early episodes what our definitions of punk are. But I, I think back to like my era of punk and the earlier era. And spitting in people's face was a very common trait of punk. So I think they actually are right. <laughs> uh, Bono's quote, or maybe it wasn't. <laughs> the Edges quote was, it was actually incredibly subversive. It's really punk rock. It's really disruptive. Um, well, it disrupts your time schedule when you have to take the time to de- delete it. So he's not lying about that. And to be fair, I think it's only really disruptive if you listen to music on shuffle and in between Jesse's dance music comes up a song with Edge's incredible guitar tones. Is he a guitarist? Oh, he is the guitarist. Okay, thank you. <laughs> the best that you didn't know. You apparently didn't see that movie, uh, Might Get Loud, huh? I don't know, even, I haven't even heard of it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually a, a very good documentary that like any fan of like rock music should see. It's, uh, it's, it's very well done. It's Jack White, The Edge, and Jimmy Page. So two out of the three I can't even stand. Wait, and, so Jack uh, White hates Taylor Swift, but not The Edge. Yeah, well, I didn't see that, but I saw that he said a lot of dumb things and then compared himself to Kanye. And the difference between what he did and Kanye is that Kanye actually doesn't preach to his choir and say dumb things just to get a roar out of a crowd. Kanye actually says things that are subversive and challenge his audience. And when Kanye West offends Taylor Swift, he really means it. I don't know if Jack White meant it. (laughs) Mm, mm, that's true. He definitely did mean it that time, despite all the apologies for the last few years. <laughs> um, I think that's it on that. Uh, it seemed, I will. I don't know if I did it last week, so just in case you haven't uh, figured out how to remove the U2 album, you can, and I will include a link for how, a very easy way that Apple is letting you do. So we have one listener question this week. If you missed it, uh, Mineral, a band who have reunited after, I don't know, 17 years, were in St. Louis on tour, on their reunion tour with Intuit Over It, and they had a whole bunch of stuff stolen from them. And so uh, one listener asked "Can you, if we could talk a little bit about all the thefts, uh, what people can do to stop them, whether it's a band, a booking agent, venue security, or something like that. I think we, Jesse and I, both have a lot of experience in this. Most recently in, in my life, in on like February 28th, I flew to Chicago for a day to watch the first day of knuckle puck and light years tour with neck deep the show was incredible first day of tour we left the venue and light years had their van broken into 
<laughs> and this was about the fifth robbery at that around that venue in Chicago in a month or two. So Chicago, Chicago, yeah. one of the worst city, cities Chicago, for us by far. It's like Chicago and Atlanta. Yeah, and St. Louis is really bad too at this point. Oh yeah, you're right. So there are definitely hot spots. I mm-hmm. because but it can happen anywhere. So in terms of things you can do, I mean, even if you read the mineral. The mineral post, which we have linked to in the show notes, you know, their post very, uh, like, very much lays it out. Of we parked our van in a in a well lit uh, parking lot where there was an attendant. When we came back out to the van, the attendant was gone, and our van was broken into. What they did do, and which I would say this is this is the best thing to avoid. If you have a lot of cash, you got to do cash drops every day or every other day. It looks like mineral had upwards. I'm going to assume well over 10 grand of cash just in their van. So I would say if you if you ever break that five grand mark or below, you need to be doing cash drops oh, yeah. as, as frequently as possible. And if you can't, you take that cash with you. Like you, you have your, you have a backpack, you put it and you don't let that backpack leave your body ever like that. Like that is your livelihood, especially for mineral. This man's not going to reunite again. And if they are, it's only going to be in select cities. It's never going to be a full tour again. So which kind of a shame for them. They lost a lot of money that they're never really going to be able to make back versus at least another band that may be touring for many years to come. So even Knucklepuck, as soon as I read the Mineral thing, the first thing I did was text them and say, how much money do you have on you? It was too much money. And I said, you need to deposit that right now because it's incredibly scary. You just never know. And so then there's the other interesting thing of is that, you know, you know, a lot of bands also try to avoid depositing cash because they don't want to pay taxes on it. Absolutely. If that is the case, and like what we used to do back in the day is just as you talked about with the backpack, if you have thousands of dollars on you, you could afford the $120 for a very secure lock system, even within that backpack of like having a locked box with a severe lock and then maybe even locking it to that backpack. Because any bit of effort of somebody pulling, trying to pull something out can help. As far as other lock things, so I wrote a lot of articles about this on MuseFormation over the years, and we used to do a lot of tricks with um, a band I used to manage back in the day. And one of the things we would do is that if anybody got into our trailer, we'd try to have things that they wouldn't expect. So we'd bike lock all the guitar cases together because mm. no one would be able to carry them easily. Like, So if you have six guitars all bike locked through their things, that's going to be something you were not expecting and you're going to probably think otherwise of... Uh, going down that road and the same thing with the drum cases totally um it makes them impossible to carry out so you at least get rid of that um every laptop especially a mac laptop has a lock on it you can lock it to your van seat and it's not going to be easy and the criminals are not going to expect it that thing costs 20 dollars on amazon if not less if you tour a lot and you decide that you're going to leave your uh, laptop at the van which is also a really bad idea and should be taken with you in a backpack everywhere you go do that. And then lastly, get a kill switch on your van. That thing costs like $150. And it makes it so, I mean, for those who didn't take auto shop, it's just basically an extra switch that you hide somewhere within the van in as weird a place as you can. Some people even put two in and one's a dummy. So that when the crooks think they got it, it's really another one a lot of the time. And they put that one, one of them in a pretty obvious place and then another one in a really weird place. And, you know, the other switch is literally just not even hooked up to anything. It's just two wires going nowhere. That really, 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 really helps. Um, the last thing I would say is, too, is with the bike locks. So you now have bought three bike locks. So that gets you about $100. Mm-hmm. 
bike lock your steering wheel because they're never expecting that they're going to have to deal with cutting that cable. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I even used to do that with my car because I used to, there used to be this place I pre- did pre-production. It was actually Thursday's rehearsal space and it was in the worst fucking neighborhood. And I just like, anytime I had my car there, because, you know, I was driving my fancy car, disgusting trash mobile. Um I would bike lock it up so no one would think twice about like, okay, I'm going to actually steal this car. Right. And and beyond that, like in the question asked if there's anything more people can do, like unfortunately not. Like it, it's very rare that venues have like parking lots that are that are very safe or whatever. Like it's the most most of these places where we see these robberies are major cities like Chicago and venues in Chicago are likely not going to have a large parking structure for bands because it's a, it's a very large city. And if that's the case and you're aware that around the subterranean, you're going to get robbed. If you have a van, you should probably go the extra pain in your ass and park somewhere a little safer, whether even if that means you gotta, you gotta do a walk before you load out all of your gear to get your van. It's like, that 20-minute extra walk versus thousands of dollars of gear gone or money gone is, you know, uh, life-changing for your band. Um, but also one thing that every band should do or can do is get gear insurance. Um, I actually just did this for Knucklebuck yesterday. And so all of the Synergy bands have been doing this over the last week or month or so. Um, I, used a, I just used a website called Music Pro Insurance. I insured about... 20 grand of overall knuckle puck instruments and gear for $300 a year. You can, you can also, it's so worth it. So worth it. You can also, you can also uh, put things like computers in there. Uh, iPhones and iPods are not eligible, but any other kind of electronic thing like a computer, laptop, whatever is. So once again, $300 a year for over 20 grand in gear. Um, you can't really beat that. So you should really do it. Like it's it's as easy as it like I can't I can't state it anymore. Like if you have expensive gear, if you have if you have a guitar that you love more than anything and it costs you a lot of money and you may not get that guitar back, you could at least get another one. Like just three hundred dollars a year. That's a couple shows if you're a small band or one night in merch, whatever. Like it's worth it. Do it. I remembered a tip now because my coffee's just hitting my brain. So a lot of you bad kids, because I see you in my studio, have um, a smashed iPhone and then you buy a new one and then you stop using that one. So let's say you have your old 4 or 4S or you're like Zach and you're the biggest fan girl, get a new one each time it oh, comes out. Oh, so nice, man. I'm just, it's so big. It's great. Take that old phone, charge it every night, put it inside um, the uh, case for your money or something and... If someone steals it and you have that find my iPhone thing on it, you can go track them down with the police. Also a great tip. You guys got to be sneaky. Like if you're, you should be sneaky, no. be clever, be clever, be very punk like you too. Don't do that. I, I, I've tracked down a few iPhones and thankfully usually it's for friends in Williamsburg. And so the people who have taken them are, you know, uh, not very big and kind of frail and lanky. So <laughs> when me and three of my frail and lanky punk rock friends show up saying, hey, you have our friend's iPhone, you know, then they just get scared and we don't have to use the police. But in this case, if it's your gear, you're probably going to want to use the police. Plus, I've seen most of you kids. It's not going to be too intimidating. I have enough friends in Philly that have gotten their bike stolen and that bike then a day later ends up on uh, Craigslist and it's just funny. Oh, yeah. Oof. Oof. Getting into our first topic. Um so 
it kind of came out in an interview with with Time, I think with Time, uh, that <clears throat> Apple is developing a new format, a new uh, MP3 or new just audio format, I guess you'd say. Um, yes, audio format is the way they put it. Audio format. Oddly enough, with our best punk rock friends in U2, um, that that part <laughs> I'm not sure is so important, but we can we can touch on that too. But anyway, Jesse, this is kind of your your thing. You want to go for it? Supposedly, Apple is developing a format that will also have interactive album artwork. Um, so on the private mastering music punditry boards, which um, I would say like is almost a tie for of with absolute punk uh, comments in this as the stupidest things you'll ever read in your life. Um, which is even sadder because it's people who are old <laughs> being that dumb. So that's even worse that they don't know better. So I'm actually going to give them the stupidest pundits on earth comment. Everybody's kind of saying that while they're developing this format and it will be a little bit more advanced version of it, it's going to basically be what the arcade fire did with the suburbs. What this was, it was actually very interesting. So I will say this, I don't like any arcade fire after funeral, but uh, it looked great. Like you would go in... And if you clicked that album uh, artwork down the little corner of your iTunes, it would play through the song. And at certain times, you could click a link and the lyrics could, uh, or so like a lyric would come up, let's say, and it would take you to a web page that would explain the lyric or maybe a Wikipedia page about what he was singing about. But then the visuals would change, the lyrics would change over the album artwork. Diff- there's basically just different cue points. It's kind of like a little bit more of an interactive YouTube video with um, a whole bunch of annotations on it. And so, like, so some something like like uh, like a customized like rap genius kind of thing. Yes, actually, that's a great way of uh, phrasing it. I mean, yeah, that's cool. So, but then you get into the ridiculousness of um, what's all laugh in unison when they say, "There's no way it will ever be pirated." Ha ha ha. Do people really care? Like, I do most of my music listening when I can't look at something because it is, you know, if I could look at something, I'd just be watching something like I'd watch a YouTube. And so this seems a little silly because what you can do with the YouTubes is probably going to be more interesting anyway. So, like, I I don't get the logic there. And if they really think that we're going to get into a downloadable format, that will also be well, another really so big wait, laugh. So put, put the streaming stuff aside. Like, I'm sorry, not the streaming stuff. The, uh... Like the the theft stuff, the Visual. piracy stuff. No, like just no. just assume okay. like Apple just gives up on like caring about that. Then do you think it like is it still pointless in your mind? Because I know like we've had this discussion a lot. Like I don't really stream music. I I stream my own music from like my iTunes match that I haven't downloaded. But I'm I am still a person, and we've gone through this because of like advances that I get or whatever, where I just listen to everything at iTunes at this point. So like, I still think there are many, many people that do that and, and will do that in the future. And in, and in that case, if we get a f- kind of file format like this, that could be pretty cool. And on the other hand, is that, is that possible? Do you think with, could that technology be used in streaming formats as well? It could. So, that, um, so then that's it's not, not hard because YouTube's already doing it. Right. So it's not necessarily like pointless. It's just, I think it could just be pointless on how Apple frames it, right? So you talked about even using iTunes much. So what's important to most of us, I think, as music listeners is easy access to any musical whim we have. But what's not that important to us is this interactive experience. Like Apple already learned this lesson once when the iTunes LP format 
failed miserably. And you could do all this with it too. And this Arcade Fire thing was kind of part of that movement. I found a video for this Arcade Fire thing. And if you haven't seen it, you should really check it out because it is really cool and creative, especially if your band has a cool message behind its lyrics. But that's great for like a one to three times experience. But let's be honest here. We're all going to want to listen to this record. You know, like how often do you listen to your favorite record of the year? Like over a hundred times? Yeah. I'm asking you. Oh. <laughs> um, so like, are you going to really do the visual experience all 100 times? No, you're going to well, be walking into your exactly, artist yeah, management that's, class. That's exactly, yeah. Or you're going to be driving. Uh, or like... Yeah, please don't watch albums while you drive. Or like, you know, even just... You know, Arcade Fire is the perfect band to have done that, right? Like, they do weird shit. Oh, yeah. They're they're weird. Uh, that That's perfect, right? Like... What bands would I trust to do that? Because then then it gets into a game where it's like, I mean, it's a really easy like rabbit hole to fall down into. Like, you know what happens next? Rise Records then hires a person for that, just like lyric videos. And then they're all the same, just with different like templates, you know? Like mm. how quickly does it how quickly would that become super stale? And how many bands like do you really want an attack attack version of that? Like, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, those are my favorite comedy records to listen to for the first time. Yeah, I just think there's not, like, you know, the market there is, like, a 1% of high art bands, and it was probably already done the best with, like, Arcade Fire. Not necessarily the best it could ever be visually or whatever, but, like, they are the prime band to do that, I think. If you were to ask me, like, who would you want to do it? I'd be like, that band and, like, Bonnie Vare, right? Like, what other, like, we, like... I don't know. I, I don't want to watch that for any band I love, I don't think. Like, I, don't, I just don't know what that would do for me. I'd rather have some sort of other dedicated, not a, not a shitty studio update thing, but like a dedicated like documentary or something, something like that where it's not like, I'm just going to watch this on my iPhone while driving and crashing. You know, like, I, I just don't know that it would be useful to anyone. <laughs> So I think that's the thing. And like just the convenience, you know, if it if it's a native iTunes where on this is the save the iTunes format while, you know, also having beats as another arm, I just don't know how well that's gonna work out. Yeah, I listen I listen to a lot of a lot of the tech podcasts I listened to over the last week uh were all obviously about the Apple announcements and um like a lot of a lot of a lot of people are curious of like when are we going to be getting into beat stuff? It's gonna take a while it's gonna take a while is the thing. Like you can't people people all of the time expect people are, people I think just don't know how product cycles work and they're like, Well, why can't mm-hmm. Apple make a new iPhone seven tomorrow? Well, it takes like three like you know, they they research it for three years, they build it out for three years, and then manufacturing takes months because they just sold 10 million iPhones in a weekend. Do you really think they made all 10 million of those in the last week? No. And so it's not it's not really re- like people just think stuff happened, and that that's not really reasonable. So, uh, you know, they acquired Beats in April. Uh, I, I think expecting something within a six month period of time is really kind of slim. Um, so I I think so, I would. Ex- uh, so so you, so you know where I disagree on that. And when you have the the company with the most cash on hand in the history of companies with cash on hand, and you don't have an Apple TV app for Beats yet, there is there is one. Very there is one. Jesse came out with iOS eight. Is it really? It is now on your. It is now on your Apple TV. Promise. It's really, I didn't see it. I looked for it yesterday. Promise. Maybe I just did an update. Yeah. Okay. That I'm that I'm wrong. They're right. Yeah. It seems like Apple is doing the small check off the box list stuff as they can until they get somewhere new. Like like the like the Apple TV. Like just that it's. 
you know, they're just now that beats are like well aligned as a as their own product in the Apple store, like stuff like that. It seems like they're checking off boxes. But I'm super curious to see what comes, like if eventually you'll have the option to substitute your Apple earpods for beats or whatever, stuff like or new product lines with beats. I don't know. Curious. But we'll save that for later. Oh, so so let's t- let's touch on one one last thing though. So this week we saw a BuzzFeed article that showed how many people are still using CDs, and uh, you know, sadly, it's uh, my age demographic and up, uh, thirty six and over, are still using CDs. Um, which is funny because the only people I see still using CDs are people who like to listen to things in their car and for some reason haven't paid. Uh, the whole $100 for the jack in their car to plug their iPhone in. I think it's funny that we're always talking about all these new music technologies and we're still so far down this hole that like, you know, it's been 10 years since most of us have been in CDs. I haven't bought a CD without my name on it in nine years. I think it's totally hilarious. Three generations, we're talking iTunes downloads and streaming, and now we're talking a new audio format that Apple's developing, and we still can't get people off CDs. Do we need to? Like, like the more... So Rise Records is now including digital download codes in their CDs. Mm-hmm. Oh, them along with a lot of other indie labels. Right, yeah. yeah, and I had never heard of this before, and I'm like, God, we got to do that for bad timing in the future. Like, to me, and mm-hmm. to, to me, the fact that they're doing that is... It's not like for shits and giggles. They must be doing that for a reason. And that reason must be people are buying CDs either to just have something from the band to support the band, even though it's only 5 to $10, or to play it in their car and then use a digital download on their computer. Like, there, there's clearly, like, people are clearly buying CDs for a reason. You know, like, Rise Records, their largest physical format is not vinyl. It's certainly CDs because of the type of genre they are. I don't know. Like, I don't know what we are, why we are trying to kill something that may not need to be killed. I don't, I haven't bought a CD in, in God knows how long, but still like there are clearly thousands of millions of people that are, uh, I think I might've brought this up on an episode or two ago, but like half of real friends debut album sales have been from CDs. What if we didn't have CDs? I don't, I don't know that all of those people, half of those people, or even a quarter of those people would have bought the album in some in some other way if they didn't get it on CD. And that's like a, that's a scary thing, right? Like that's a lot of, even putting aside like billboard numbers, like that's a lot of revenue gone. Yes, you are correct on that side of it. Um, uh, I'll tell you why I'm trying to kill CDs. Because I have an article that I throw up on Record Store Day every day, every year, where I talk about like a lot of the power that the major labels have is stores right, and brick-and-mortar sales of music. And I think the democratization of music will come to a greater place once we don't have need to go to Best Buy to purchase a thing of music and that major labels and larger indies don't have more access than just a band putting it out on their own. Yeah, that stuff is actually pretty crazy. Like, I, I listen, like, I have... Like my friend at Hopeless or Rise of mine, like they they have they fly out to Walmart's like headquarters in like Idaho or something three times a year to meet with them to try to get like Taking Back Sunday records, like you know twenty thousand copies of them bought and put into Walmart, Targets or whatever. And like hearing that process is insane to me. And no lab- labels like Run for Cover have no chance of doing that. 
Yes. So why I want that as a music fan is because I want everybody to have the same access and so that us, the music fans, decide music. On the other hand, you are correct that CDs are this nice, highly profitable model for musicians and musicians already can't pay their rent enough. And obviously I need them to pay their rent so they can pay me to make records. That is an issue and one we're going to have to figure out. Also, it's not like it's not like it's a cassette and the audio quality is terrible, right? Like, no, no, no. It could be it could be it could be worse, right? Like, you know, it could be like let's be factual. The CD quality is still better quality than almost anything anybody is listening to unless you're downloading the source file off Bandcamp. And unless you're downloading the uh, highest version, even the, if you're doing the iTunes uh, HD thing, whatever they go, bastard for iTunes, then it's not uh, the same. Then that can be better than a CD. But if you're streaming music, you're definitely getting a better quality recording on a CD. And that's without fail because CD 16-bit 44 and none of these other formats are of that level. Yeah, so it could be worse. This is true. It could be worse. That's it. Should be always the theme for the music business. Always. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, so a few weeks ago, editor in chief of Property Zach, Eric, uh, wrote an op-ed kind of piece called "Why Branding Burns Out Creativity," um, and it, it focused sort of on different different musical genres or different titles that we give we give bands. Um, the the article focus on focuses on like you know very easily I think uh, like defend pop punk for a band like Man Overboard and like Easy Core for Four Year Strong or Emo Revival for all these bands that are reuniting and and how short term that may be really effective like you know we saw how effective like you and I saw more than anyone how effective like defend pop, pop how yeah, how easy and how great, effective how Depend eff- Pop Punk yes. was. Yeah, yeah, and same thing with Easy Core and Emo Revival was like was was the scenes was this scenes dictionary word of the year for about six months, right? And, um, but at the same time, and as this article sort of goes through, and I think it's one of our better ones in the last few months, like it can it can really burn you out. Wayne from Man Overboard texted me shortly after the article went out, and he's like, "Man, like." not annoyed at you or whatever, but it's just funny because bands don't think of it that way oftentimes. Like, Man Overboard's not thinking about, like, we got to defend pop punk. It's just, it was a silly t-shirt design that turned into a lot more because, and you can talk about this, it was, it would have been stupid to, you know, financially and for the band's growth and, and awareness not to turn it into something a little more. And and I think something like uh, Four Years Strong People got super into this Easy Core thing in 2009 through 11, and then when the band released their third album, it did not sound like that anymore, and there was a revolt, <laughs> and that that yes. killed the band's career. Um, so, what what do you think about sort of sort of short versus long term success and, and failure based off of something like? I don't know if I want to call it a gimmick, but just sort of branding that takes a life of its own. So I think the branding obviously does make it a little bit more strict where fans see your ability to move artistically over the years. But I think most bands get in this problem that the second that they make like a beloved record with their fans, their fans just maybe they want progression, but they don't want too much progression. That's for sure, because 
Every time you do too much progression, it's, you just see that backlash. So I think it's interesting because, yes, every band has to deal with this. But, like, this is... And we, we've gone down this road, and I've been writing about this in my new book, is that, like, you know, you have to stay true to what you want to make because no one wants to hear the music that you're just making for the fans. While I think there are exceptions in times that somebody makes, like, a cool record for it, I don't think you're ever going to make your genre-defining record by as the one that you made like just to please your fans and may keep them happy may keep you getting the checks and the mortgage being paid but like not so much wayne and i discussed very early on stopping selling those defend pop punk shirts so they could move forward and i said well it's gonna be pretty financially crippling it's your decision but it's not gonna work out too well for you for making a living and Ultimately, I think the other votes were for much more altruistic things than just selling out and making a ton of money. The thing was, is that, you know, it was like a theme that worked well with the band and like people enjoyed it and made people happy. And like it made me, it made me happy. It like, you know, as like I, we, I think I've alluded to this at least, but like when, when I was, God, I'm old, you're old too, but man. When, you know, when I was, when I was, I remember very much, like, I was 16, I was on my way, like, this is just my memory of real talk. I, I was leaving my house in New York to, uh, to go meet my camp counselor bus that I was, like, the bus counselor for at a soccer camp, and, like, I, I like, uh, a publicist had given me real talk, and I, and I listened to it, and this was at a point where, you know, Blink-182 is, was, whatever, absolutely my favorite band, and I love pop-punk, but there wasn't pop-punk music that was interesting to me anymore. I thought it all kind of, all I thought all new stuff was basically just, like, third-rate, all-time low stuff, and that was really not good for me. And I was, I got really into this, like, world of Manchester orchestra-style music, which I still am in and whatever, but I remember, like, just very... I remember hearing Real Talk and being like, whoa, like, this doesn't sound like uh, the main... And I was way into that. And then, you know, I, I dug a little bit in, deeper into Man Overboard and bands like Transit in the Wonder Years. And then there was this Defend Pop Punk thing. And I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I got to fight for the cause. But at the same time, I was like, it feels really awesome that other people can experience, are experiencing what I am right now. Like there's this new, fresh style of pop punk that also feels a little bit old. And we miss this and we're not trying to defend it or whatever, but like, it's just, it's just something to be happy on. Like, Hey, yeah, I'm a style of this music. And what the style we called it was, was just defend pop punk. And yeah, what it, for me, it, it like, it changed, you know, it changed a lot because that's sort of where the site got focused and it, it changed the kind of shows I was going to and the people I met because of it. And I, I think it would have been like crazy to just be like, can't gotta, gotta scrub that word from everything. Yeah, and I think that was the thing, is too, is we saw how happy it made a lot of kids. And it was like, it's ridiculous. Like, the, you know, like, I think part of the conversation is is um, how mad people are going to be if we did stop selling them. Because people wanted that. And so it would have been stupid. And they wanted to state very loudly that, yes, I'm part of this almost nerd culture. But, like, a culture where, like, yes, they do feel the need to say, I'm part of this I know you think it's lame, but I'm proud of it. And I think that's always a very powerful message. But at the same time, you know, if they wanted to go Kid A right now, <laughs> for 
people out there who don't get that, that's when Radiohead stopped using guitars for the most part and got weird. I knew that, by the way. I knew that. I just want I just want to let you know that I knew that. You tend to know the terms, you just have never heard the Yeah, rap. I've never heard I've never heard any Radiohead music. I'll get there, I think. Wow. It's something I want to get there to. I'm just not there yet. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you'll be like forty at a dad, you'll smoke a joint, listen to OK Computer, be like, man, dude. Great. Thank you for putting that image <laughs> in my dad's mind. <laughs> as, sorry, as, Mr. Small, as he sorry. says, what is Radiohead? <laughs> I think there's Dude, a difference like between two, like, I, I think it's fair to point out, like, as far as I remember, and I might be wrong, but, like, I never recall, you know, there was, like, that Easy Core tour, right? And that was headlined by, like, Newfound Glory, I want to say. But it's not like, I, I never really... I didn't re- know this happened. Oh, yeah, it was, like, a, it was it was a sick tour for then. It was, like, Newfound Glory, Four Year Strong, Set Your Goals, Fireworks. Like, you know, that that's a good mm. tour for people. And I think it was called the Easy Core Tour. But at the same time, like, I don't ever recall Four Years Strong, like, selling merch that said, like, defend Easy Core, right? Or Easy Core anything. It, it was kind of just a genre placement that fans put on them. And similarly to, like, this emo revival stuff, people got really into American football because of Tumblr. And then You Blew It came out with a new album. And then everything after that was emo revival. And... These are things that if you are a band, I think it's kind of hard to be bummed about because uh, if Ian Cohen at Pitchfork, and I'm saying this in a in a good way, says, yeah, this band is like an emo revival band and they they make me happy, you should listen to them, that becomes a lot easier, similar to Defend Pop Punk, where uh, if you like ten, if you like in general this emo revival sound and here's a list of 10 bands that may fit into it, that's a really great way for you to find out 10 new bands potentially. Like now a lot of these bands are cornered and it's not necessarily like their fault. They're not selling t-shirts that say defend emo revival, but there it is. And then they're stuck. But I'm sure somebody is going to be after this episode. Yeah. They're, they're on the property Zach web store. Please buy them. <laughs> <laughs> the money goes to buying mansions records. Um, <laughs> So something like Defend Pop Punk was a conscious decision, right? Like that was that was like, hey, like we're we're selling this. It's a really good way for people to see our name. No, that wasn't that wasn't the thought. It was ju- just more like it was made, and we thought it was it was funny. That was it. It was. It would never. No one thought it was going to be what it was. So it wasn't a conscious decision. Okay, cool, fair. But so like with this, like uh, where writers. And fans then put a term on a band where it doesn't fit to them, but it's now a whole group of bands. Like that, mm. you can never really get out of that, right? Like unless you're brand new, you can never really get out of that. So, I, I think that this is a really interesting thing. So um, my favorite record of the year is Porter Robinson's Worlds. It's a dance record. So odds are, if you're listening to this, don't even bother. But so it was interesting about Porter Robinson is after his last record, which kind of got lumped in with like Skrillex and the dubstep thing. He did this record called Spitfire. He then started putting out these tracks that everybody started calling Complextro, um, meaning that it was really complex electro music. And everybody was kind of expecting, I want to say like there's the song Languages that was like on the Big Beat yearbook, which is like the equivalent of like Epitaph putting out a sampler. Got it. Um, and everybody thought like this is what Porter Robinson's record's going to sound like, you know, Complextro thing. And he comes out with a record that kind of sounds like M83 and Mew with a little bit of that Complextro thing going, um, but, like, really was a total left turn of, like, a genre he was kind of being the spearhead of. Everybody's like, he's going to put out this genre-defying thing. 
And I think that was like one of the most interesting moves I've seen in music in a long time because he's now able to do anything he wants because he put out one, because this record's amazing and he's like, you know, doing so well that he always playing to 7,000 people in two nights in New York City. I think that's the thing is, is like, if you're a band that's really conscious of this, you kind of need to defy the expectations, but you also have to do it well enough that fans follow you. And that's a really, really tough way to balance things. And uh, it also separates who's really, really good and who's, you know, kind of just getting lucky making music. Yeah, I, I don't want to call it unfortunate, but I... I think oftentimes, like, it, it is unfortunate. And a lot of the times it has to play into how the band handles everything. Like, Four Year Strong shouldn't have been saying for six months, our album sounds completely different. But, you know... Oh, yeah, that was not good. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned this before we before we hit record, but, I, like, me more than anyone on the website and as with my, like, uh, powerful, not in a cocky way, but in terms of a large following voice, like... When Four Years Strong released the first song off of their new EP, Go Down in History, like, you know, I started like a hashtag, like, Easy Core Revival. And now that is a thing, you know, and that was me. Um, but because I, I was so, yeah. I was so excited. Like, I, I think it's incredible. Like, I, I love that sound. They're, they're the best at it. They're the only ones that can do it. Right. And I don't know that they're necessarily making. I think it. I think it's probably seventy percent that they they still want to be making music. They know people like this music and they're good at it. Versus seventy percent being this is the music we we love to make, uh, and we just we just tried something that we didn't think worked out. And I, I think it's probably a little more that the fans are demanding this, um, which which often leads to bad music. Hmm. But in this case, like I think it's fucking great. Yes, and. Um, but that, that's that's interesting. But would you say it's as good as Enemy of the World? Uh, I think there are a song or two in there that that show that are are really on that same level. And I think if they do an album now after it's like getting getting the EP out of the way, I think it could absolutely be just as good. Um, like it's it's still super catchy. The the mm. music is still like they are so good at riffs. It hurts. Um, and like I, I yeah I think. And I don't even know that it needs to be as good as Enemy of the World. Like, there's still, with any band, like, uh, whatever. Like, Devil and God is my favorite brand new album. That doesn't mean I don't love the other albums because I don't think they're equally, like, 10 out of 10. Like, it, like if Four Year Strong releases are... But they were good at the time for you. That's the thing, is they are good at the time or good enough. What you want to have is you want to have the band keep exceeding its expectations. That's what goes on to greatness. Uh, absolutely, but you know, I, every band doesn't do that, and I, I don't think that's bad. Like you know, uh, the format released two records. Most people's favorite is Dog Problems. Mine is Interventions and Lullabies. I'm a really big fan of both. I, I prefer one, um, but I listen to both all the time. I don't know. That's like I a, prefer Dog Problems. Most people do. I am in a very small minority that that prefers interventions and lullabies and i think most of it just has to do with the first single but that's me yeah no i mean, I, I think i think we, we think we beat that one up so so you want to get into the last one to get this out of the way we're going to have a link in the show notes this guy lil dick half comedian half rapper put out this video called let me freak that i will go on record of saying is the probably the best music video of this era but it is extremely lewd and wrong, dark, 
And it will never be able to be played on the radio in the middle of America or in the South or anywhere where God-loving people um, exist. Got a million and a half plays in three days of coming out, and it's just getting more and more plays as it goes. And it's kind of destined to hit number one in the next couple of weeks. Like, as it just grows, the stream is going to do it, but it's going to do it with no airplay, radio airplay, because it can't be played on the radio. And the last time we saw this was CeeLo Green's Fuck You track. But what they did to get around that is, of course, they did Forget You. This song is just one of those songs you can't, like, there's no way to censor it to make it palatable for the radio. It's just like, it's too, the whole basis of it is how fucked up it is. I think it's going to be really interesting because we've kind of seen this ever since Billboard made the decision that it was going to count streams and YouTube plays towards the charts, that eventually there's going to be a song that gets to the number one on the strength of, you know, one, also the video that accompanies it is hilarious. But like, this is the beginning of the end for radio when people see this because everybody's going to try to hit this level of video now that does this type of thing. You know, the one thing is, is the production's insanely, insanely good. Like it's, um, from what I've heard, I haven't seen it confirmed yet, but it's a bunch of Dr. Luke's people who did the production. It, it, it's going to be a very interesting thing if this becomes the game that no longer are, just like we were talking about how record stores were part of what propped up major label artists. It's going to be very interesting if now it's like, yes, there's no MTV and no, we don't care about radio airplay. We can do this without radio airplay. That's going to democratize music even more. And we've been seeing this trend, but this could be another like, this is basically like knocking down a pillar of that house if this happens. You know, I was at Skate and Surf in Asbury Park this past May, and I walked through the hotel doors and I caught up with John D., uh, the promoter of Skate and Surf and uh, used to be Bamboozle, and we were chatting, and then he said, you know what, sorry, I gotta go. My, my good friend Lil Dicky has a PowerPoint presentation in one of the hotel rooms about how he's going to change music. Huh. I need to go watch that. We'll catch up later. That is hmm. all I know about Lil Dicky. And it could have been very good foreshadowing. That's, that's very interesting. Well, this seems very conscious and very well done. I mean, like the amount of detail in this video is just striking. And I went through his YouTube channel and a lot of the videos are very, very smart. But this is definitely a head above everything else I've seen him do. I mean, just as we were talking about, this could be very interesting because like, yeah, like I want to see fan enthusiasm be what brings out music brings music to the top, not just who was able to get a, the, pay the radio promotion person and get a song on the radio. A lot of people's big thing with Macklemore was that like, oh, well, he was in ADA's system and he they were able to go to people and get those songs on the radio. It wasn't just fan enthusiasm. And I'm like, no, it's both. Those were just different ingredients that, yes, he had tons of fan enthusiasm. He was making videos that do it. But this could truly be the thing of that. They can't take this song to radio in its present form. So that's eliminated. And so well, this you would said, truly You said be... something about Dr. Luke with him. So do you think that's fair, though? Like, yeah, he maybe this can't go to radio. But at the same time, like, if this is, like, Dr. Luke stuff, and for those who don't know, that's... Is he the, he's the Katy Perry one, right? Or he's he if Doctor Luke essentially has his hands in every 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 pop song, he's the number one pop producer. Him and Max Martin, and they often work together. But so Doctor so Luke owns a thing called different? prescription songs. 
Yeah, it's different because it's not then about the A and R. It's about just making good quality music. And when I say good quality, I don't mean that you as a punk rocker like it. I mean, there's a level of production well, here that's happening. Like this, I, I mean, I sometimes give don't you the group me of the don't doubt. group me in. Don't um, group me in with the Edge Man. <laughs> um, I meant our listening audience, but you know, I'll take you two there with Doctor Luke. That he genuinely does a level of production that is above the standard in pop. His productions tend to be a little bit more lavish, put together, and just done better and accomplished better than most um, in the game. What I like the idea of is that people emotionally see a song and then that's what gets popular, not who was able to get into the board meeting as we just talked about with Walmart and convince them to take in a bunch of CDs. I want that system to topple. I want us, the music listeners, to democratize music. I see this doing that because they can't use that radio portal. And also, this is a sing one-off single, so it's... Impeach major labels. Yes, impeach major labels. So I see this as a potentially really cool thing. We're going to have to wait and see if it actually happens. But my prediction, and by the way, the trend is going, uh, it's going to happen. Like, you know, it's basically going to be fighting against that Jennifer Lopez, Iggy Azalea video with all the butts. A lot of butts. A lot of butts. A lot, 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 lot of butts. I didn't... Uh, okay. I don't know. Uh, Iggy you have anything else to say about this? No. No, I don't want to go down a Iggy Azalea rabbit hole. Um, uh, I don't blame recommendations. recommendations. You you have something, I see. I, 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 I saw The Replacements on Friday. They've been one of my favorite bands for 19 years. I've been waiting to see them. And uh, it was amazing. I uh, I joked that, you know, the reason I produce emo records for a living is I cried for three songs straight. I was so happy. And uh, my recommendation is if you don't know the replacements, but you're trying to write lyrics, you should at least read Paul Westerberg's lyrics because that man is just the best lyricist in the game. Like, I just had a week of listening to them, and there's no one better at writing lyrics in the world than him. Bastards of Young is my favorite lyrics in a song of all time, and man... And also one of the best music videos ever made. So if you're not familiar with it, at least watch that because it's hilarious. Uh, there's a new album I've been listening to per recommendation from uh, Nick and Knuckle Puck. Uh, it's by a band called Grandview, and the album is called Everything Between Paint and a Wall. I am now, my this album has raised my my bullish expectations that I am going to get an emo revival in the form of Armor for Sleep now that we also have bands like Better Off, and uh, this fits into that. And come on, you guys, we're so close. We're so close. Let's forget about Mineral and, and keep going for the Armor of Sleep style. Uh, and also, I would recommend a new podcast called Analog. There's a lot of years between that. I know. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Everything's moving faster, Jesse. Everything's moving faster. We're going to get there. Uh, <laughs> There's a new podcast called Analog. Um, it's uh, <laughs> the the sort of focus of the podcast is um, sort of the touchy feely things of the real tech world, or just how we use technology. Not like technology, as in I'm an Apple geek. Here's a lot of Apple news, but in terms of uh, like, there's an episode this week that I'm very excited to listen to about how you balance your work and home life. Let me tell you, I'm a disaster. So I'm really excited to listen to this. And so I think um, this is a good podcast to listen to if you have issues with you looking at your phone all day and it causes problems in your life in general. And it's a good open conversation about that. 
Uh, so go check that out. And we'll have lots of links in the show notes. And uh, U2's Punk Rock. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo. And our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.